has the message of Jesus become your ministry? Church is a unique endeavor. Every Sunday we gather together with people from all over our community. Maybe if you're traveling on vacation, you gather with people who are not part of your community. And you may enjoy them more. I'm not exactly sure. But we get together and in a room like this, there's a hodgepodge of believers and those who are not believers. Worked in the midst of the not believers, there are even some make-believers. We have this group of people that get together every week and they begin to think through these God concepts, these Jesus concepts. So for the believing people in the room, and that, according to what you tell me, that makes up the bulk of us, the question that we have to ask ourselves regularly is, is this message of Jesus at the ministry that I have put into practice? Am I living out what Jesus has called for me to live out? Am I demonstrating the things that Jesus has called me to demonstrate? Does my desire line up with what seem to be the desires of Jesus for his people in the scriptures? Do the things about Jesus being crucified and resurrected, do those things infiltrate every aspect of the way that I happen to be living? Do the words of Jesus that I'm supposed to take so seriously seem to be impacting the way that I treat other people. Is this message of Jesus the way that we minister? I I begin to think through who we are in this space. I've got many of you who work at plants. and, And I want you to know, as the pastor of this church, Jared and I have discussed multiple times, you have badges that give you access to places that we can never go. They won't let me show up. And you're probably thankful for that. You heard my chemical uh, illustration last week. I didn't know oxygen could be bad. The message of Jesus for his people. It matters. I want you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. We're in a series on the book of Ephesians called New. And we're wrestling with what this new looks like. How this new is put into place and into practice. I'm going to read our text like I do each and every week, verses 1 through 13 of Ephesians chapter 3. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. That will be what's on the screen. If you've got another translation, that's okay, more than likely. If you're not sure if your translation's okay, just talk to me. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard about the administration of God's grace that He gave me for you, the mystery that was made known to me by revelation, as I've briefly written above, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise. In Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim the Gentile, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. 
This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Every one of us in this room have a person in our lives that when you begin to have a conversation with him or her, they will say something and they will dovetail to a completely different topic. That may be your spouse. Some of you need to be careful if you're thinking about shaking your heads. Some of you, it may be a co-worker. Others, it may be your pastor. In this text that we're in today, we see Paul do that. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, hyphen. At that moment, he leaves his train of thought as he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he will not return to it until he gets to verse 14. The title of our sermon is, By the Way. Because that's what Paul does here. He says, for this reason. And then he completely abandons the reason. And he gets to verse 14 and he picks up his train of thought again. But here, he's going to let us know who he is. What he does. How he's been given commission and opportunity to do it. And we get to see how who Paul is aligns with who we may be. And how what Paul does may be given direction as to what we should do. We look at this text and we see Paul take us in a different direction. All under the authority of the Holy Spirit. All under the the faultless, flawless word of God. We see the passage taking us in this direction. Paul didn't know this. He's sitting in a prison writing words down to these churches. But God in his immeasurable knowledge that we'll get to in a few moments is going to use this to reach rooms like this in 2022. Then God would shape what the church is and why the church is that and who the church is made up of as he uses these words. So let's not lose sight of this as we go into for this reason. For this reason. Just to let you know, the reason comes from Ephesians 2, 19-22. As he gives a little bit of a shape as to what the church is, where it reads this, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. But your fellow citizens and saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in whom the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's the uniting work of God in the church. And Paul will allude to that in the text that we get to deal with today. Coming back to it next week. Stay tuned. 
Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Why is he in prison? Jerusalem is about 500 miles from Turkey, and uh, which is where Ephesus is, modern-day Turkey. And if you look into this area, you would see that the way that they saw travel is not the way that we see travel. It was unique for Paul to be in these multiple places. It is a different concept because most people never went very far beyond where they lived. I flew United recently. And uh, the event coordinator who was making sure and, inma- and invited me there, he texted me and said, praying for a safe flight. And I told him, I'm flying United. Just pray that I have a flight. <laughs> I go to North Carolina, different languages, different customs. I'm working with the Awana, which is a different thing. Different for me. They take me to dinner that night. We go to a barbecue place. I ordered brisket. They must have been out. They served me pot roast. They were also out of sauce. They gave me vinegar. Very unique. It's different for Paul. It's a different world altogether. When Paul is in prison here, we have to ask the why. Why has God allowed this man to be put in prison? Because it seems as if Paul's doing really important things that we should not abandon or overlook. Acts chapter 21 gives a a visual into why Paul is in prison. Look along with me on the screen, verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia, they saw Paul at the temple. They're visiting. Oh, there's Paul. Hey, Paul. They stirred up the whole crowd. They seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and he has defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They made an assumption about what Paul was doing. And they arrested him as a result. They believed that Paul had brought this man into the holier part of the temple, beyond the Gentile wall that we mentioned last week. And Paul goes on to say, as you look, assuming you've heard about it, haven't you? And then he lets us know, wait, these people may not know my story. And I've got a really good story. Assuming you've heard about it, haven't you? About the administration of God's grace that he gave for you. So when he uses the phrase administration of God's grace, he is allowing them to know that God is using Paul in the church at Ephesus to put into play how that household of faith should work. Paul is saying that he is going to manage the how of God's household at Ephesus. I'm going to show you what the church is, how the church should function, how the church should act, react, and interact. But my story is one that before you can ever understand the the value of what I'm going to tell you to do, you've got to know where I came from because where I came from was a horrific place. Acts chapter 9, Paul's story, he's going to arrest and murder Christians. If you're a Christian and you hear that guy is coming, that seems to be bad. Yet, Paul, God meets him and Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Asking him, why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you doing this? You're persecuting me. God then sends a man 
to meet with Paul. And he prays over Paul. Even though Paul, the Paul that he knows, going by Saul at the time, that's a deep dive on some website if you'd like to do that, would like to kill him based on what he knows about him. So you begin to look and Paul saying, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what I would have you to know. This is the importance of you knowing that. Assuming, have you not heard? I'm the guy who's been sent to manage your household. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. I saw Jesus. And I've written about it a little bit earlier here. And my story is all over the church. Verse 4. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I have an idea as to who this Jesus is because of all that I've experienced in this Jesus. I was told I was persecuting Christians, mistreating Christians, and in so doing, persecuting and mistreating Jesus. God has given me a, an image and an understanding as to who I am supposed to be now. And all of my experience and everything that I walk through is used to shape what God and who God would have me to be now. I, I'm not sure what you've walked through. There are some of you, and I know just based on my own childhood, I'm pretty sure they had me at church the moment they could get me there. There are some of you that my grandmother made sure of that. For others of you, it goes even beyond that. Your mom gave birth to you on the front pew of First Baptist of wherever. She did not miss teaching Sunday school that day. She had a baby on her shoulder. Everything that God used to bring you to the point of your salvation is something that God can use to display and demonstrate the value and the wonder of His salvation. So if that's a really churched story, incredible. Others of us, that's not our story. Maybe you came to Jesus in, a, in another way. Maybe you would have called yourself a follower of Jesus, but you were pursuing everything that there was to pursue outside of Jesus. Yet God met you. God saved you because God's the one who meets and God's the one who saves. And God, this isn't you being ashamed of what you were. It's you finding a hope in who you are. That God would meet His people. Some of us, our story, in light of what our world is, would say that we're worse than that. And we have devalued and detached ourselves from Christian witness because we've got this terrible, murky story. This man was killing Christians. You wouldn't want him here. God can use who he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Please don't discredit what God would have for you to do because of who you used to be. By reading this, verse 4, 
you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So there's this mystery thread throughout the book. What's the mystery? And then you'll see it in the book of Colossians some as well. What mystery is Paul talking to us about here? It's the mystery. The who of the mystery is Jesus. Let me walk you through who Jesus is according to one 20th century theologian. He says this. The mystery is Jesus. And here are the things that we can learn as we work through the teachings of Scripture about Jesus. His place with the Father. We can learn about that. His commission. His coming. His death. His preaching. His work. His exaltation. His headship over the church, the world, the powers, and all things. Jesus is the embodied mystery of God. He is the mystery wrapped in flesh. All of these things are who Jesus is. He goes on to say that Jesus is pre-existent. He is the revealer. He is the savior. He is the king of the church and the true king of the entire world. And it is this Jesus who will unite Jews and Gentiles, Israel and and the people who are not of Israel. Jesus is the who of the mystery. Believers know who Christ is and what he is going to do. That is the belief up to this point. We believe... That God is doing something immeasurably good. And the nation of Israel had this embedded in their story. That God was going to unite the world under himself. They just didn't understand the how. What we don't know and the secret that Paul is going to reveal to us is how God is going to do it. Because the nation of Israel believed that there was a better... How many of us ever really want to see better in our world? There has to be better. We need to get to the other side of whatever this thing happens to be. Better has to be an option for us. We have barriers in front of us. The status of the people of Israel was that they were under the reign and rule of the Gentiles. And that was terrible. Better, the better that God offers us has to be on the other side of this. I've shared before that when I walk at the college, I always notice there's this softball fence that's there. Don't try to play softball on that field. You will hurt yourself by tripping over an aardvark. It's a terrible place. Possums everywhere. But here is a picture of the, the fence. It doesn't look like there's a softball field on the other side. I'll see one of our church members when I'm walking sometimes. She let me know the other day that she was prayer walking. I told her I anger walk out there. (laughs) On the other side, there has to be something. And this is where the nation of Israel was. On the other side, there has to be something. Because on this side, we are under the reign of Rome. And this is awful. On the other side, better must be there. And this was their thought. When God comes and establishes His kingdom, His reign, His rule on the other side, since this is so bad, with us being underneath these other people, God's better must be for us to be in charge. God's better must be for us to be the ones who are making all of the decisions. If you think this sounds bad, who among us has not looked at the way someone else did something and thought, man, I I would do it like this. It would be so much better if I did it like that. You've met that person. You are that person. I am. 
on the other side, there has to be better. There was. There is. But where it became problematic was the way that this mystery would be fully revealed. On the other side, we do not replace Caesar with an earthly Messiah who reigns in the way of Caesar. On the other side, we have a Messiah who is perfect in the way he loves and cares for his people, who is compassionate for those who are far, who cares for those who are near. On the other side of this, we see that the Gentiles are not forced to serve Rome. But verse 5, This was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed to holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, The Gentiles are co-heirs. Members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Not only do we get to the other side of a barrier and see that it is more than the people of Israel reigning and ruling in perfect quasi harmony with the nation of. Uh, with the Gentiles for the rest of forever, on the other side, the barrier has been removed and people are co-equal before God based on the work of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus uniting divided people. Jesus invading hopeless situations with a hope that doesn't just ignore barriers, it removes them altogether. This is Jesus. Now the Old Testament has thread this into the story consistently and continually, but it's always hence. Abraham was told that he would be the father of many nations. Many sons. I had one on right arm. Isaiah was to be a light to the nations. But when you get to this point, what Paul is saying is the ministry that I've been given is a ministry that declares that Jesus... By His blood, in His resurrection, has given us a unity that we could not have outside of Him. Meaning that we as believers are united with other believers by the power of His death to deal with sin and His resurrection to say that we live forever because of Him and in Him. Verse 7, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. I was made a servant. The word there is deacon. Now, if you, going back to our church experience before, you may have been in a situation where a deacon served as parliamentarians. The problem with that is the Bible. When we look at the deacon in the scripture, it's this idea of a servant. And Paul is saying, I am a servant of this good news. Moments ago, he said, I'm the one who ushered. I'm going to declare the, this good news as the manager of the household. But now I do that by serving this good news. By serving it in the way that I live and treat others. In the way that I see far away people while I'm in this prison chained to a man. 
Look at the then and now that you see in the passage because he kind of gives us that imagery throughout the text. There is a then and now of Paul's explanation. This is what was, this is what is. In other generations, now, he says. It was not made known, now it's been revealed. The sons of men, his holy apostles and prophets. Paul is saying this story has come to its fulfillment echoing what Jesus says. Sermon on the Mount. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Hey, every bit of the scriptures, it's about me. About the uniting work of Jesus. Hey, this grace was given to me, the least of the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. So this grace, this undeserved care that God has shown to me. This gift of being able to declare this to the world. This was given to me by God. And he calls himself the strangest thing. The least of the saints. When I I look at Bible people, I'm careful not to say characters because this isn't Disney Plus. These are people. I think I could hang out with Peter because he's a doofus regularly and he makes terrible decisions if you are thinking man you can't call him that I don't have, the Bible does read what Peter does regularly which shows that there's hope for me but when I read here about Paul Paul's awesome Paul wrote huge swaths of Bible text he led and cared for a man who wrote other large portions of Bible text he mentored a man who did that He says to them, I'm the worst saint. And I'm the chief or I'm the leader of sinners at another text. There's a possibility that in the way that you see your own sin, you don't see yourself like that. pray and I hope that I would see that my sins are separate me from God apart from the good news of the grace of Jesus that I'm the leader of the sinners when we have this angle when considering our own sin It helps us to see the immensity of the grace of God that has been shown to us. And the little barriers that are in our hearts and minds and lives, they're much easier to work around because we believe that this God cared enough for us. And if He cared enough for us to save us, then that salvation will extend to anyone who believes. Because God can use anyone. And to shed, verse 9, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Shed light there? We're gonna, I'm, they're back in vogue, so I'll, I'll do this. I've been at a few weddings recently, and we have had Polaroid pictures. Anyone seen those? Kodak moments. Shake it like a Polaroid, as Andre 3000 taught many of us a few years ago. The, you take the picture. 
you hold the, the photograph in your hand and you shake it. I'm not sure that really does anything if I'm being transparent with you. But as it is exposed to light, the image becomes clearer and clearer because light hits the photo. Paul is saying my life has been used to shed light on this earth and it doesn't seem clear that all things have been united. But that's the reality that we're moving toward. And I think that any of us will be honest and we'd say it doesn't always seem clear that God is exposing that the whole church, that He's united people. Because we love to live in division and separation. I don't know anybody who argues as much as Christians. This is so, verse 10. This is so the multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. The mystery that is Jesus is being made known. His grace, His sufficient good grace is being made known to the rulers and the authorities. This notion of the heavenly realm to angels and demons, they are seeing what grace really is. Multifaceted wisdom. It, the word literally means multicolored. Getting this from every single angle. If you've been on your uh, Instagram filter, you can see that you can move your thumb and you can change the colors that are there. If you've ever been on a Google Doc and you go in, you see there is the opportunity for you to, to see, yes, there are colors that are there and then you can find the colors that are not even present. You can move around in this. This is God saying that through the church, the mystery, the hope of Jesus is going to invade every aspect, every element, every portion of human existence. And that the grace of Jesus being spoken and displayed. And Paul is saying that that's what I've been called to do. This is my by the way. This is according to his eternal purpose. And verse 11. Accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That the whole of creation would know that there is one hope. And that is the shed blood of Jesus. The resurrected body of Jesus. In Him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. One translation reads it this way. In Him and because of His faithfulness, we can confidently make, access, make, we can confidently make use of our free access to God. Because faithful, God does not abandon his people. Because Jesus is faithful, he hears the prayers of his people. Because Jesus is faithful, he, he shows grace in the most unexpected ways through his people. Because Jesus is faithful, God will use you when you go to work. Because Jesus is faithful, God will use you when you're at the ball field. Because Jesus is faithful. And we can go on and on and on and on and on. Because we do not define who we are by how faithful we are. Jesus is always more faithful than you are faithless. The faithfulness of Jesus 
In Him, we can confidently make use of our access to God. We have boldness to do so. So do this. Maybe you've you've been taking notes. That's great. Maybe you have a phone and you've been playing a game. That's different. (laughs) Could you maybe write down or type out something that's heavy on your heart right now? Doesn't matter what it is. Do it. This is where you participate. What is something that is heavy on your heart? It could be a personal thing. It could be a big thing. It could be a coworker you've been praying for. It could be a person in this room you've been praying for. Just write it down. Just acknowledge it. Write it down. Now, with whatever you've written down, I want you to look at it and I want you to ask God to do something about it. This doesn't mean He's going to do whatever you think He should do. But remember, we don't get to see the other side of the wall. What do you want God to do about that thing? Ask God to do something. Posture your heart. How am I going to phrase this? Why don't you pray it out loud? Right there, you see. It can be a whisper, that's okay. Just pray it out loud, go. For believing people in the room. Because Jesus is faithful. God heard that. He heard it. Ask Him. Petition Him. You don't need an invitation. You have access to the creator of the universe. Who in Jesus has removed every barrier between you and Him and has given you hope? Paul says, so don't be discouraged over the fact that I'm in prison. Because me being in prison, my afflictions, they're your glory. My afflictions mean that you get to live as if Jesus is a big deal. Heads bowed. Maybe you need to keep praying over that thing, and that's okay. We have space, and honestly, the back corners of our room, if you just need to go kneel and pray, feel free to go do that.
You don't need me to be there. Nobody ever comes to talk to me at prayer time anyway. But you have bold access to God through what Jesus has done. Through his broken body, through his shed blood. If you're a believer in the room, as you process whatever that is, in a moment, I want you just to get up and go get a cup and the bread. We take communion consistently here at Grace because we want to remember that really sermons, the value of what takes place here is not because songs were awesome or sermons were great. It's because we wrap our hearts and minds around that Jesus died in our place. Jesus shed his blood for us. And we remember that. Your access to that prayer being heard is because Jesus meets you in his death and in his resurrection. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, I just would ask you to kind of hold off. Don't take the cup. Don't eat of the bread. This is the fam the thing that believers do. Father, we trust you this morning. If there are non-believers in this room, save them. Just save just save them. And if there are believers in this room who for whatever reason have forgotten that they have bold access to you through your shed blood, through your death, Jesus. Help us to remember that. We trust you. We, God, I trust you and I'm thankful that even when I don't trust you, you have still made it possible for me to talk to you. So meet us. Meet, meet these people this morning.